Hello and welcome to A Moon State of Crypto Brainstorm, where we come together once a week to discuss the latest trends and analysis in the crypto world. All opinions expressed by A Moon staff or guests of the podcast are solely their own opinions. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment advice. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today, we're talking about a really exciting topic. We're talking about the impact that crypto could have across the continent of Africa, with a specific focus on Nigeria and Egypt. To understand what role the crypto asset industry could play across Africa, it's important to first understand the problems it has to solve. And for that reason, our guest this week is Yele Badamosi, Director and Ambassador to Africa at Binance Labs. In addition, I'm joined by Hansen and Lanray from the Immune team today. Lanray will be the topic leader. Lanray, why don't you kick it off? Thank you, Hani. So one narrative which has been consistent throughout the history of crypto has been the concept of, quote unquote, banking the unbanked, especially with reference to the continent of Africa. There's been the hope that crypto could in some way act as a way to allow for people to store their wealth in a censorship-resistant way, especially in cases where there was a general lack of faith in a given public institution, or even facilitate cross-border payment and remittance payments. Especially since the rise in prominence of the next generation of stablecoins, such as DAI or Celo, and even Facebook's Libra, the argument has often been that those crypto products will help bank the unbanked in Africa. This is complicated, however, by the fact that Africa is perhaps the most diverse continent on the planet with a range of ethnic groups, socioeconomic systems, and cultures. To truly understand what role crypto may play in Africa, perhaps it makes more sense to get more specific. So in this case, focus mostly on Nigeria, where Yele and I are from, and Yele currently lives. And it will also be great to bring in Hani's expertise on Egypt as well. Another problem, as many have pointed out, is that often those within the industry have touted crypto as offering solutions without first probably understanding the problems. There's no doubt that Africa, the world's youngest continent, has an almost unbounded potential to grow, and countries like Nigeria have begun to show their potential as the new hubs for innovation and financial technology. However, I think it's first important to step back and probably understand, in crypto's case at least, what problems there are to solve for those within the crypto industry and the different modes of thinking we can adopt to better understand the solutions. I think Yele, as perhaps one of the de facto leaders in the crypto industry for Africa and Nigeria, is the best place to start us off. So Yele, in your own words, could you help explain your thesis for why crypto could be useful in Nigeria and also the wider continent in Africa and what problems you think this could help solve? And it would be cool to especially do this in the context of explaining your business and kind of background and how you got into crypto as well. And yeah, like also before all of that, I'm sure everyone has heard of Binance. Not a lot of people have heard of Binance Labs or specifically what the difference is between the two. So it would also be great for you to talk a little bit more about that background. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me on the show, guys. Um, so I think I will first start with kind of um, sort of separating or defining what Binance and Binance Labs is. So for most people in crypto, um, they were familiar with Binance, um, the one of the world's largest digital currency exchanges. Um, but Binance Labs is the venture arm of Binance. Um, it's tasked with um, investing in blockchain 
and digital currency projects from across the world. Um, and my role specifically at Labs um, is focused on investing and supporting the nascent um, blockchain ecosystem in Africa. Uh, so that's sort of like the the, the big differentiator. Um, a, a simple um, sort of like uh, Web2 comparison would be Google versus Google Ventures. Um, so I think the the second thing that sort of like we, we've, we've touched on is, you know, the, the thesis for crypto in Africa. Um, I think before I sort of like go into that, I want to sort of like break um, or dispel a particular narrative about crypto banking the unbanked. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize outside of the continent is that the current state of crypto actually sort of like excludes majority of the people who are in quote unbanked. Um, and that's primarily because unless you have sort of like a smartphone, um, you cannot use crypto, right? So there is today, um, for the most part, no interface between um, feature phones, which is the most popular type of phone. So a feature phone is a phone that, you know, is not directly connected to the internet. So um, a famous model is something like the Nokia 310. Um, and a lot of people don't even have phones. So those that don't have phones as well, the primary means of sort of transacting is using cash, which means that if you have cash and you don't have a bank account today, you also don't even have the ability to buy Bitcoin or any of these sort of like digital currencies. So one of the first things that I did when I sort of like joined labs was to kind of like think about this idea of crypto inclusion, right? So we are familiar with the phase of financial inclusion, but crypto inclusion is about thinking and saying what are the barriers that affect the accessibility of crypto. Um, and so a couple of the projects that we funded at labs and sort of like our last incubation program um, tried to solve or address these needs. So one of the companies was Bitsika. They built the first USSD crypto wallet in the world. Um, and you can think about a USSD crypto wallet as being very similar to M-Pesa. M-Pesa um, is the most popular um, sort of like network for mobile money out in Kenya um, doing uh, sort of like, I think anywhere between sort of like 50 to 60% of, 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 of GDP in transaction volume. Um, but you know, a lot of people can use mobile money because it works on mobile on, on, on feature phones. So Bitsika basically built, um, a wallet that works with feature phones. And another investment of ours was called yellow, um, it's called yellow card and yellow card primarily um, solves the problem of, of creating an interface between cash and crypto. That is an individual who doesn't have a bank account but has some cash, can go into um, a, a, a store or go to an agent and sort of like buy crypto um, with cash. So those are sort of like the two key, you know, areas that no one really talks about in terms of saying, you know, if you don't have a smartphone or a laptop or a computer, how do you actually use some of these tools? Um, and then another sort of like issue as well is, you know, when you see a lot of dApps um, or like, you know, wallets, um, a number of them are not even designed to be mobile first. So you have sort of like interesting technologies like Compound, um, DAI and, and the likes, but they're not mobile first. So even if someone has a smartphone, it's not really the best experience for a first time user. So a lot of work has to be done in terms of saying, okay, how do we take this sort of like awesome idea of decentralization and digital currency and make it more accessible to the to the sort of like average African um, on the street. 
So I was sort of like stopped there. And and, and, and yeah, like, um, I think I have some I have some stats on this from from North Africa. But can you talk a little bit about what the uh, proportion of Africans having smartphones mm-hmm. is? Because I think it closely. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it closely also mirrors the percent of Africans who have bank accounts. Where about a third or so um, have smartphones. Yeah, so I think like right now um, there is sort of like a, I know there's a 59 percent sort of like mobile penetration, um, and maybe like a third of them would sort of like have smartphones as well. Um, so it is it is sort of like growing if you're being sort of like honest about it. So I think um, we are projected to have a billion smartphones by 2025. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, by the time you think about that, the, the, the only problem is that that absolute number, some people sometimes have like two, two phones. Um, but the idea is that the number of smartphones overall is kind of like increasing as well. So, so depending on the country, one could say 20 to 30% smartphone, which yes, is pretty exactly. low. Yeah, which exactly. is pretty, pretty low. And yeah. I, I think um, one of the mistakes a lot of people do with the continent is they think it's one. And yep. I, I really did mean, depending on the country, because obviously <laughs> South Africa is very different from yep. Chad. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think uh, that's one of the main issues that uh, sometimes arise when people talk about Africa in the, in the, in the whole. Yeah. So I think it, you're 100% right in that, you know, um, Africa is sort of like a diverse, um, it's not the same as Europe where you have a lot of um, sort of similarities between various nation states. Um, so South Africa is a lot more similar to sort of like Europe and the rest of the developed world. And, you know, North Africa, um, both sort of like culturally um, is, is, you know, culturally and economically is maybe a little bit more similar to sort of like, you know, um, uh, the Middle East and sort of like you have sort of Sub-Saharan Africa and they're definitely kind of like, differences between West Africa, Western Africa and, and um, sort of Eastern Africa. So for instance, the prevalence of, of, of mobile money in Eastern Africa is a big, big, you know, changes the way the economy works and its function. So it's kind of like natively digital because most people are used to kind of, you know, moving value through digital means unlike Nigeria where cash, you know, made, I think about 95, 95% of all sort of economic transactions in Nigeria is still done by cash today. So um, you definitely can't think about Africa as sort of like this one continent and you have to think about it in sort of the various um, uh, sort of sub, subsets. No, absolutely. And I think uh, off of your example, um, obviously South Africa and Kenya actually share a lot of similarities in how they were developed from colonialism, right? Their port cities, they were developed by the, um, in a similar philosophical uh, way. North Africa... I like to think about it as more of a Mediterranean area. Um, the parallels between Egypt are closest to Turkey and Greece and Italy um, than, than anything uh, else. We talk about West Africa. We talk about East Africa. There's also a whole swath of central landlocked Africa that has its own um, challenges. I think the, uh, the countries of the CFA franc, for example, excluding Senegal, have their own uh, infrastructural uh, issues. And I, I think that in order to fully uh, intelligently speak about the continent, we're, we ought to break it up into five or six different, um, let's say, thematic 
categories or, or regions? The best way to think about like Africa is through kind of like the economic spending power. So, for instance, um, more than more than eighty-one percent of of Sub-Saharan Africans um, actually live on less than two dollar fifty a day, right? Um, and forty-three percent of, of of Africans um, um, are classified to live on less than one dollar twenty-five a day, right? So, um, how do you think about sort of like delivering services for individuals in that segment? Right. Um, and you can sort of like scale up, um, you know, uh, sort of like how much people people earn. And that gives you an idea of of, you know, what their day to day lives look like. So I think, you know, to, to sort of take things back, you know, when I'm thinking about like crypto is I think people have the right ideas on sort of like the potential of, of, of crypto on the continent. And I kind of have about sort of five to eight points on why Africa is actually a good fit for 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 crypto. But the main point is, you know, we have to understand that there are kind of like existing challenges that prevent the diffusion and sort of like accessibility of this technology. And as a community, we'll do a good job in figuring out, you know, how do you how do we how do we cross the the chasm? How do we break the gap between some of these um, ideas that we have about the the power and potential of of, of crypto for the world and, and in Africa? to, you know, actual utility and like use cases and mass adoption. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point. Also brings up one thing that made me think about something you said a bit earlier in terms of, so crypto, as you said, has a lot of really great ideas. There's a chasm between the ideas and the actual uh, solutions. But then also interestingly in Nigeria, getting a bit more specific in the last few years, there seems to have been, you know, a pretty radical financial technology revolution. So we have companies like Andela, Paystack, Flutterwave, Jumia, which are all FinTech or FinTech adjacent companies. I know, I think Microtraction actually invested in Paystack, if I'm correct. These companies are often solving some of the similar problems that those in the crypto space are ostensibly trying to solve. And there's something I'm trying to work out as to, to what extent are these problems, which we've mentioned, going to be solved by you know these fintech companies which for the most part are building on traditional payment rails and crypto which you know to put it simply is trying to rebuild an entire financial system and these are two very dis- different approaches and so it'd be interested to hear your opinions on maybe the best way of of, of diving into this because i i had a similar thought Landry, was maybe let's talk about well what are the top issues that people are facing that entrepreneurs and companies are uh, supposedly trying to solve. And then I would love to hear the the nuance here of why M-Pesa is a wonderful financial empowerment tool. It's absolutely in the traditional world. It's literally made by a telecom. What is crypto uniquely able to do, to Landry's point, that... Um, fintech or fintech adjacent uh, firms are, are unable or have not been successful? Yeah. So um, some of the most important problems are, it's kind of like, it's still the fact that for the most part, like Africa is still predominantly a cash-based society, right? So it's basically saying, how do we move from being a cash-based society to one that is digital, right? And um a lot of existing like before sort of like you know what we call fintech 2.0 so to sort of like let me focus on, on nigeria a bit 
there's been sort of like a class of fintech companies that came before um, 2014, right? These companies have been around for about 10 years. The largest of them is a company called Interswitch. Um, Interswitch basically built a switch that allows sort of like banks to 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 move money between each other, right? Um, and uh, they just raised, I think, 200 million from 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 Mastercard, and they're Africa's first sort of like unicorn, unicorn that was founded by like or Nigeria's first unicorn that was founded by by a group of Nigerians. Um, and so you had sort of like a group of companies that sort of like try to solve you know those problems. But in the last sort of like five years, there was a there was a whole new shift. Um, there were two companies that got started, and um, although we don't classify them as micro traction companies because we had done these deals before we formalized micro traction, um, uh, Flutterwave, Paystack, um, primarily solve uh, a very similar to Stripe. That is, they allow sort of like businesses um, accept payments online um, and sort of like move money digitally um, using using APIs. Um, they they solved a very important problem because before. Before then, it was very difficult for small businesses or developers to sort of process payments digitally, which inhibited sort of like the whole uh, startup ecosystem and entrepreneurial ecosystem. Because if you can't move payments um, and you can't move value digitally, then you can't really sort of like have a startup. Um, and so these companies are sort of like pretty much built uh, the infrastructure upon which a lot of the, the, of the fintech innovations that are happening today. So, you know, um, fintech in, in Nigeria and Africa is is one of the most thriving sectors. I think about 50% of all venture capital dollars that have gone into Africa in the last um, four to five years has gone into financial technology alone. And so you have companies solving things in the in the sort of like investment space, wherein, um, uh, you know, an individual in Africa can now for the first time um, uh, sort of like access um, sort of U.S. and global stocks. Um, you have companies that automate savings. Um, uh, you have you have sort of like companies that give out credit and and. and yeah, like on the on the stock side, are are these and the investments and are these overall direct access or are we talking about synthetic? No, so these are these are direct access, like that um, direct access. Um, but they're again through <laughs> through a number of middlemen. So for for an African or you know a Nigerian to have access to those stocks, there's I think there are about three or four layers to to you know before you can actually get that eventual stocks. And then there are issues around the fact that um, you know you can only trade those assets at particular times. Um, uh, and again, there's also a limitation in terms of like where those things are available. Right. And I think the way I think about sort of like crypto and sort of like fintech is that fintech today has primarily been around innovation on the way financial services are delivered. Right. That is um, before you had to deal with like um, and someone, someone in person or go to a bank or like call a broker. Um, and, you know, you are you, you, you kind of like have this sort of like physical in-person relationship with you know, um, access to financial services. But FinTech basically uses um, the internet and, and mobile to deliver financial services to you and reducing the overall kind of like cost structure, OPEX structure of delivering that services. When I think about like blockchain and crypto, it's actually the first time that there's innovation on financial services themselves. So 
um, we've actually invested in a couple of, of, of companies at MicroTraction that kind of like enable access to digital assets or, or to sort of like to, 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 to stocks in the, in, the, in, the, in the US. But the difference is that there's a limitation to sort of like where those companies can reach. So for currently, they're currently in, the, in, the, you know, in, in Nigeria, but if someone in, in, in Gabon or someone in, in, in Rwanda or someone in, in, in Malawi wanted to have access to those assets, then it's very difficult, right? But the, for me, when I think about like the potential of blockchain, it's about creating kind of like permissionless access to financial services. You don't need to, you don't need sort of like the same level of, 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 um, of, of, of like, you know, KYC barriers, um, of num- number of middlemen, and all you actually need for the most part is usually just an internet connection and, you know, a mobile phone or some agent that allows you to trade or get access to this sort of, you know, digital assets. Um, so I think like, you know, what will happen is you're not going to have a, um, sort of like a split. I think it's going to be a parallel economy wherein there'll be individuals who, um, are using sort of like, you know, traditional fintech or like fintech 2.0. And there'll, there'll be individuals who, um, sort of like begin to learn about sort of like digital assets and cryptocurrency and, and, and sort of the utility of blockchain and would actually want sort of like more freedom about like the money. So that's why, like, I love Binance's motor, which is about the idea of freedom of money. And in my in my mind, I think I think it's actually beyond money. It's about the freedom of value, right? Um, you don't need someone's permission to basically take, you know, some kind of economic action or economic transaction. Um, so to go a little bit more specific, for instance, if you used um, some of these companies that gives you access to 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 uh, U.S. stocks. Um, there's, you know, they have sort of like the 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 trading windows or like trading uh, sort of like the cycles when you can purchase those stocks, and that's usually running with what you have with the U.S. markets, and obviously that's like eight hours behind, so it's like a super weird time when you can buy or sell stocks, right? So you don't have this kind of like twenty four seven always available markets, but if there was a synthetic asset of those same of those same sort of like you know um, stocks or equities. Um, an individual in Africa can trade them 24-7, right? So, again, it's about breaking down these artificial barriers um, that, that, that limits the, the freedom of, 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 of value and the way we move, we move and, and sort of transact. So, is a, I apologize if this is simplistic, but the main thing that I heard that differentiates crypto from uh, traditional um, solutions is it the accessibility and the twenty four seven aspect of this? Yeah. So it's the it's the it's definitely like I think twenty four seven that is like always on, and then accessibility from a standpoint of you know you could anyone anywhere could potentially have access to these assets as opposed to the way it currently works in sort of like fintech two point wherein. You you would you would need to sort of like so for instance Paystack um, launched in Nigeria and are sort of like looking to expand in uh, sort of like other African um, countries so like looking at like Ghana and you know um, I'm not sure some of the other places are like public yet but again you know with with, with crypto or like you know a, a stable coin you could have users from across Africa. Right. So it's basically breaking this idea of like the, the real world geographical barriers 
um, and and sort of like geographical borders and sort of like creating um, single markets for for assets and like the the transactional value. And how much of that is technology versus regulatory? So I think it's a bit of both. Um, that is when you. The interesting about fintech in Africa is that there's not a lot of existing infrastructure. Um, so you, what you find is that, like, depending on the country, the, the quality of financial services varies very, very widely, right? So, for instance, um, uh, you know, I think I, I don't want to sort of, like, you know, name, name a wrong country here, but I know there's certain countries wherein you can't transfer value from, a, you know, um, a bank account from another, um, from, from let's say bank A to bank accounts in bank B because there's no interoperability. And you also have this in mobile money as well, right? So in, 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 in Kenya, you can't really move value from M-Pesa's, um, which is the Safari comms network to let's say um, MTN or like, or like Airtel, right? Um, so some of those things are more about sort of like the technology that has just not been built um, and then some of them also sort of like involve, you know, regulatory um, hurdles. Um, but most times there's actually no clear regulation on what can what you can or cannot do. It's just that for you to actually do something, you need to get the permission of sort of like certain banks or certain sort of like, you know, um, traditional financial institutions who are not as open and they don't want to sort of like adopt your technology. But the difference here with crypto is that like it kind of like breaks or it gives developers kind of like walkarounds around, you know, um, this traditional uh, uh, in quote gatekeepers. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of like the, the, the that's the way I see it. So it's a combination of like technology and and and, and regulation. Um, but the beauty about crypto, again, is that it's like peer to peer. Right. So um, when you, you look at cross border transactions, um, or like remittances, Nigeria has about $20, $20 billion um, a year in remittances. But I always talk with that, like that number, you can probably multiply it by a factor of eight. That is, I believe that, you know, about 80 to 90% of all remittances actually happens through peer-to-peer -peer, um, channels. Um, so, 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 you know, with, with crypto, this idea of like, you know, allowing um, economic value move in a peer-to-peer -peer manner um, uh, is, is, is actually what excited me the most about crypto. Yeah. Uh, and I think, th thank Yelik for that point. And I think this brings up something else which has been ruminating in my mind, especially kind of in reference to s some more macroeconomic events that have been going on in Africa. So recently, kind of the African Union ratified a free trade agreement between its members. And one interesting thing was that in the run up to this ratification, which happened pretty recently, I think, there was a lot of opposition, namely from Nigeria, because or partly because of some of the impacts Buhari and some of the other trade leaders within Nigeria thought this could have on the local manufacturing sector. And this kind of relates to the whole point you made about crypto allowing for single market access across Africa. And I guess there's this economist called Danny Roderick who had a trilemma who argued that within international trade, there's always the trade-off between democracy, national sovereignty, and uh, international 
the, the fluidity of international trade and single market access. And that one cannot necessarily optimize for all of them, but rather there's always at some point the possibility that by allowing single market access across a country like Africa, this could perhaps, a continent like Africa, this could perhaps uh, reduce the individual national, national sovereignty of a country like Nigeria. And this has been the same kind of arguments that people have made criticizing NAFTA or the European Union. And while I do definitely understand, so if you look at simply GDP from a GDP perspective, allowing free trade across Africa, whether empowered by crypto or just more traditional fintech, would definitely promote and help GDP in the country. There is the effect that maybe this will hurt producers in you know, a given country in Nigeria. If the governments, if governments in Nigeria or say another country aren't cognizant of the distributionary effect opening markets has. So it'll be interesting to see if that's something you've also been thinking about and have any thoughts on the trilemma, especially how it applies to Nigeria. Um, yeah, I think that's a very uh, interesting point. Um, but I think the way I think about stuff is that, you know, um, the function of nation states in, in, in Africa um, is actually very different from what you have in sort of like the Western world. Um, so in, in Nigeria, for instance, or let's, let's say like the UK, um, you have a government that provides things like healthcare, um, sort of like um, quality education, um, power, um, a bunch of utilities as a result of like, you know, adequate taxations and, and kind of like good governance, right? So a lot of these public services work because you need a government to, you know, create a certain level of economic coordination and, um, and, and, and sort of like the, the, the governance of, of creation and governance of public goods. In Africa, like that, you know, like the reverse is the case. Wherein, um, for the most part, you, you know, in Nigeria, for instance, you, ha- you don't have 24-hour power. Um, education system is pretty much broken, wherein majority of education um, and any sort of like majority of quality education is done privately. Same thing with healthcare. Um, individuals have generators that they need to power with diesel or like or like or like petrol. Um, people even fix roads. Um, and so the question for me is kind of like, so what what role is the government playing here? Um, and 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 I'm I'm one who actually believes in this idea of like empowering Africans to become sovereign individuals. Um, and so I think like in an ideal world, yes, you would have like a bustling manufacturing sector and people can trade. But what is what is the what is the point of creating a single market for physical goods when you know uh, you still have kind of like very crazy border controls? You have poor logistics infrastructure and warehousing. Um, by the time you move a good from country A to country B, the price is going crazy. Like I read somewhere where um, an individual who was importing um, some goods from China, the cost of, of getting the goods from a port in China to a port in Nigeria was actually less than the cost it took the man to move the goods from Lagos to, I think, Onicha, which is sort of like a, a, a city in, 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 in central Nigeria. So for me, like this idea of like single markets is actually, I don't, I don't think about it from, a, from the point of, of, of um, 
sort of like, you know, manufacturing and industrialization, but I think about it more around kind of like digital goods and digital services. You know, um, what, 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 are, what are services that you can provide to somebody in a different country um, that can be done remotely, right? Um, um, you know, like what, what, what goods can you produce? And so are, that's, that's kind of like where I see a lot of utility. And interestingly enough, because the individuals usually engaging in, in those types of activities are usually going to be like small businesses or like, or like individuals, um, that actually means that crypto could potentially be, you know, um, one of those interesting use cases. Like, um, uh, so I think, you know, in an ideal world, those, those types of policies will be like exciting. And I'm, I'm optimistic that the governments will kind of like figure these things out. Um, but personally, I focus a lot on this idea of, 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 of giving individuals, like empowering individuals to take control of their own economic faith. So I think this is a really fascinating um, set of topics to talk about, something I think about a lot. Uh, because, and, and I think it's even highly relevant to Africa specifically. Because if I recall correctly, the amount of inter-trade that we do between our own African countries versus what we do with the outside world is actually significantly less. Like as a, as a region, we do basically absolutely no trade between each other's compared to what we, we export out. Um, exactly. And oftentimes we will export out the raw materials and then we'll import the finished product from across the pond in Actually, from across the ponds across the world, uh, from from America, from Europe, from Asia, um, and it's interesting because a lot of people have talked for a long time, and a lot of people are very cognizant of this. Like, it's not something that we've recently discovered. We know that there are tremendous amount of issues, and and uh, this ends up hindering a lot of our ability to. Um, do better or return more than, than what we currently do. One of the most, um, one of the craziest things I uh, ever read, and I, I came across it from an economics professor way back in the day, is that the concept of open borders, which, which free trade is part of, immigration is another. But even if we just talk about the, the aspects of it that, that tie to free trade, if the entire world and... Um, the guy that makes this assertion is, I think, Michael Clements from the Center of Global Development, uh, something in, in D.C., a think tank. He makes the case that if there was true free trade, open borders across the world, the world would be about $80 trillion richer, which if you look at global GDP of countries, is anywhere between, this was a while back, a 50 to 100% increase just from, from doing that. And a lot of the, um, as you can imagine, the the, um, the 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 changes of Europe are a lot less than than Africa. Like Africa, of of the eighty trillion dollars, a lot of it would go uh, predominantly to places like Africa, which which suffer from a lot of these things. And I think the reason I share this is, is, is twofold. One, it's really one thing to talk about, we should have more free trade, we should have more open borders. 
things that we we ship from um, China that arrive on African shores, they should not cost double the value uh, when we're sending them within Africa. And we should immigrate and we should be able to move easily from Burundi to Malawi or Malawi to uh, Cote d'Ivoire or whatever. That's saying one thing, seeing actually what the impact would be, $80 trillion increase. That is massive. No one can argue against how colossal the impact of something like this would be. And I think it's important to, to, to visualize. And then the second thing that I, I uh, the second reason I bring this up is sort of, we know what the problem is. We know how big uh, Africa could, could be and could prosper under things like free trade and movement. But I have very little hope based on our geopolitical, economic, social, whatever realities of this actually happening. And maybe, just maybe, crypto is how we bridge that. Because I, you know, God bless the, the African, um, the league um, and the African Union. Uh, but we, we have shown time and time again that that's not where our innovation is going to come from. And so maybe just free trade is actually going to become a thing. Cross-border trade is actually going to become a, a thing with infrastructure that is already enabling that versus hoping for regulatory uh, intranational infrastructure to do that. When, look at the CFA, Frank, we in Africa have countries that aren't even sovereign with their own currency issuance. Um, and that's, that's sort of something that I think people should think about more within that model because that, that could be fascinating. Maybe that's the actual uh, biggest impact that crypto could have on this. No, I agree. I think I spend a lot of my time just thinking about sort of, you know, how do you, how do you bring this technology um, to, to, to people? Um, and I've done a lot of primary research um, and it's super fascinating. I think um, for a lot, of, a lot of like OGs in crypto, they, they, they might not think sort of like USD or fiat-backed stable coins um, are like an innovation, but trust me, it's a huge innovation. That is, if you had USD in cash in, in, in Nigeria today, you actually can't transfer that USD digitally, right? There's no way to, you know, from a regulatory perspective to move capital move USD from, you know, from bank B to bank, 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 you know, bank C. But with, you know, something like trust wallet, an individual can go from their like Naira to like some stable coin and can actually send value. And that's actually something that I do on a, you know, almost on a weekly, on a biweekly basis. Right. And is, is interesting to see people begin to kind of like use this in the, you know, in an interest in a peer to peer manner. And I think, you know, I actually think like things like inflation would actually drive kind of like the adoption of like digital currencies in Africa. That is when you realize that if I bought Bitcoin or I bought, you know, USDC or I bought BUSD um, and I held that in trust wallet, I would have, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have you know, maintained or like kept a lot of my wealth. Right. Um, I tweeted something a couple, um, a couple of weeks back saying that in in the 70s, if you were paid five thousand naira, so if, if you asked an African millennial today, like, would you would you would you um, would you want five thousand naira 
um, a month as a salary, they'll be like, no, because you can't really do anything with 5,000 Naira. But in the 70s, 5,000 Naira would allow you buy um, uh, a brand new car, right? So it shows you kind of like how crazy inflation works. 5,000 Naira now would maybe buy you a meal in a sort of like decent restaurant, right? So you can imagine sort of like what that looks like, what inflation looks like for the next five to 10 years. And individuals will be able to then kind of like decide to exit in court and actually hold USD, you know, um, USD in some in some in some stable coin, and then also realize that actually a harder form of currency is something like Bitcoin, right? Or 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 or, or die or whatever. But the point is, we have to, we we in the crypto space have to go beyond kind of like this idea of tribalism and think about saying how do we like I don't believe in this idea of zero to one, right? So crypto is kind of like you know. People here, people talk about Web 2 and Web 3. I'm like, what is Web 2.1? What does Web 2.5 look like? And a lot of my pieces actually centers around decide, deciding what does Web 2.5 look like? Like, what is the intersection between, um, you know, uh, blockchain in its current state today and sort of like, you know, existing technologies that work well today, right? Um, and before, before we sort of like wrap up, I usually give people this analogy. So Netflix has gone through three phases. There's sort of like, you know, um, Netflix 1, Netflix 2, 2.0, Netflix 3.0. Now, before Netflix, you had Blockbuster, which was a physical store that allowed you to go buy DVDs. With the advent of the internet, I'm sure um, Reed Hastings thought, wow, it would be good to use, you know, digitally deliver videos people from, from, on, on, their, on, their, on their laptops, but the bandwidth of the internet wasn't strong enough. But he realized that, okay, you could have an e-commerce type website where you order DVDs or, or cassettes, and then you use kind of like offline infrastructure logistics to deliver you and, and sort of like provide convenience. Now, as, as bandwidth for the internet improved, you then had them kind of like, you know, um, uh, sort of like streaming videos to people. Web, web, um, Netflix 3.0 looks more like Netflix itself kind of creating sort of like Netflix first content for its audience, right? So that was an evolution of Netflix. I think like with blockchains and digital currencies, we have to think about that, right? That is like, we know what, you know what the end goal looks like, but given the state of the technology, which is similar to like bandwidth constraints for the internet, what can we build today that offers users something of more value? Um, and that's sort of like where we spend, you know, a lot of our time. I love I love the last uh, analogy, um, and to do I find the parallel to crypto. I feel like from a purely technical point of view, we do have solutions to many of the problems, right? Like since Bitcoin existed in two thousand eight, you can already send money across borders. So remittance, in that sense, is already a bit you know improved. Then we have stable coins, which which fix some of the problems of the countries in Africa that have high, have high rates of inflation. So now you have a stable currency that's globally accepted. Um, then we also have DEXs already. So you can literally, if you know how to do it, you know, trade your Ether against maybe a tokenized house in America. Um, so from a technical perspective, I feel like we do have, or the blockchain ecosystem already has a lot of foundation. Um, but yeah, to go back to the very beginning, what we said, in reality, It's, the adoption is not big, right? Not a lot of uh, individuals living in African countries do use those technologies. So maybe, 
yeah, one of the things that will help, and I know lots of people are working on it, is to improve the user experience, make it you know more mobile friendly. You said you can already uh, have a wallet on a feature phone. I haven't heard that before. That's very impressive. But you know, innovate more on that area as well, and uh, you know, expand the technologies we already have, which solve lots of problems um, that are existing in many African countries. Yeah, I think I think the potential here um, is really really exciting, and the the continent offers so many challenges, but so much. Uh, potential reward as well, which is why uh, we keep harping on that despite the, the hardships. Um, I think we can talk about this for another four hours, but I, I see we're approaching uh, an hour already. So with that, I think we should wrap up and maybe, uh, maybe we do a deeper dive on one of these topics uh, on one of the future podcasts, because I think that uh, we have so much more to, to say and show. And just like Africa showed the world what mobile payments when used by an entire country look like and leapfrogged. I think we could have a similarly vital impact on crypto development in general as well. And with that said, thank you so much, um, Ellie, for being a part of this. Thank you, Hansen. Thank you, Lanray. And thank you all for listening. This was it from the Amun team. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions or would like to see your topic on our next episode, reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. We'll see you next week.